Is this son of God one who will obey faithfully his father in heaven even when things get tough? Is this son of God one that will trust his father in heaven, adhering to his purposes even though they will run contrary to the world's expectations? This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Tested and Triumphant from Pastor Paul Twiss, a two-part study in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter four. This passage is where we see our Lord under testing from Satan shortly after his baptism by John the Baptist. When you were growing up, did you have any heroes? Maybe a sports figure you admired, or maybe a TV or movie star? As a kid, you may have loved a baseball player or another celebrity. But the more you learned about their human side, you slowly became disappointed in them. And over time, you outgrew your admiration of them. Doesn't that happen with just about everyone we admire? As we get to know more about them, the shine starts to wear off. Well, there's one grand exception, however. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we see his strengths, the more we want to follow him. Here's part one of Tested and Triumphant. Two weeks ago, we considered the baptism of Jesus. He came to John and proclaimed that he was to be baptized. John resisted, but Jesus persisted. And so he was baptized by John. And we saw God's affirmation of the event with a loud and a public declaration from heaven, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. The baptism of Jesus is undoubtedly a pivotal moment in his public ministry in so much as it is the point where Jesus is established publicly as the son of God. God's audible declaration was public, it was heard by others, and there was no doubt in anyone's mind at this point as to God's perception of this man. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. One question you always need to be asking as you read narrative is that of the the flow of the text, the logic of the story. You have to remember that a story is being told here, an unfolding drama, as it were. And so as you move from one scene to the next within a narrative such as Matthew's gospel, you need to be probing the relationship of one scene to that which came before it, and indeed that which comes after it. Why is this text Included in Matthew's gospel this morning, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And more to the point, why does it come immediately after the baptism? What is the relationship between these two events? I would summarize it by saying the baptism of Jesus established him as the son of God. The testing of Jesus shows us what kind of son he will be. 
In the baptism, we understand this is God's son. God himself makes that proclamation. We're in no doubt who this man is. The very next scene, namely the testing of Christ in the wilderness by Satan, reveals to us what kind of son this will be. Is this son of God one who will obey faithfully his father in heaven, even when things get tough? Is this son of God one that will trust his father in heaven, adhering to his purposes, even though they will run contrary to the world's expectations? Is this son of God one who will worship his father? unwaveringly worship his father amidst many, many other possibilities for worship? And the answer to all three questions is an emphatic yes. Jesus, the son of God, is one who obeys, trusts, and worships his father in heaven. And for that reason, his ministry is now established for the remainder of the gospel. You see, it's significant that this event happens right on the cusp of Jesus's public ministry beginning. Perhaps you have those subtitles in your Bible that the editors have helpfully given to you, not inspired, often helpful. The very next subtitle in my Bible is Jesus begins his ministry. It is so important to understand that the preceding event right on the cusp of that ministry beginning is one where his sonship is confirmed. The nature of his sonship is made plain to all. He's not a son who will waver in his obedience or his trust or his worship. And so for the remainder of this gospel narrative, we don't need to be doubting him. He will go on to say hard things. He will run into hard times. And nowhere should our hearts waver in our allegiance to Jesus. But as we see his heavenly father paving a course for him toward the cross, we can be confident that he is worthy of our whole lives. We can give everything to Christ without reservation because we know what nature of son he is. The sins that Jesus commands us to lay down at his feet, to let go of and surrender to him. We need not fear what our lives would be like if we were to truly trust him. We don't need to be apprehensive about holding things back. I've trusted you in this area. I know there's disobedience in this area, but I can't quite let go. And by virtue of the testing, God shows us this is a son in whom you can trust. You can surrender everything to him and know that he has your best in mind. He will only ever do you good by trusting him. He is a son that is worthy of your whole life. Passage is divided neatly into three tests, and so we'll work through them. 
in accordance with that structure. Each test is probing a different aspect of Jesus' sonship. The first I've labeled as asking the question, is he a son who obeys his father? Is this a son who obeys his father? We read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness so as to be tempted by the devil. It would be better to translate that word as tested. It's one word in the original, the same word that could be in our English Bibles either tempted or tested. And here, tested would be better. You have to understand, Satan is not primarily trying to get Jesus to to trip up, to fall into some act of sin. That's not the main purpose of this interaction. But rather, Satan is, is probing his heart. He's trying to open up his heart and see what lies deep inside. He's testing him to know what kind of son he would be. We read that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in case we missed the fact, Matthew tells us he was hungry. At that point, the tempter comes. And the first test is this. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The devil is not saying, if it's true that you're the son of God, show us by exercising your power. He's not saying, prove to me that you are the son of God by this miraculous work that would end your hunger. That's not what he's saying. The devil knows that Jesus is the son of God. The devil knows that. The devil is saying, since you are the son of God and you have this power, why don't you just deviate from God's will? You see, Matthew is very plain in showing us that this whole event has been ordained by our Father in heaven. Jesus was led up, verse 1, by the Spirit. That's not an incidental comment. That should govern our reading of the text. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. This is God's will, that Jesus should be found in the wilderness specifically for 40 days and 40 nights without food. This is God's ordained will. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody go without food for any length of time. I've seen men go hungry for a long period of time, and it is remarkable how it changes a man. It is remarkable to see how much our stomachs are connected to our hearts. And an altogether different man emerges when you deprive him of his food. Jesus has fasted 40 days. And so the test is this. You are here by God's will. God has ordained that you would be here fasting. Why don't you just step apart from that will for a second? You have the power. You can change these stones into bread. Just go ahead and do it and your hunger will end. Move aside from God's will briefly 
and your pain, these hunger pains in Jesus's humanity. He is experiencing all that you and I experience when we fast. And the devil says, step aside from God's will. To which Jesus replies with scripture, it is written, quoting here from Deuteronomy chapter 8, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying, it is more important to me that I honor my father's will than that my stomach be full. Far more important to me than earthly physical comfort is that I would walk perfectly in the Father's will. Jesus understands that he is led here by the Father's will, and he refuses to step aside from that will, even if only for a second. And so he shows himself to be a son of God who is obedient to his Father. The significance of him demonstrating this obedience is noted by a handful of correspondences between Jesus and Old Testament Israel. These are not accidental, they're very intentional. Just as Jesus was led into the wilderness by God, so Old Testament Israel was led into the wilderness by God. Jesus was there 40 days and 40 nights. Israel were there 40 years. It's a very intentional correspondence. Israel did not fast for 40 years, but they were tested by hunger during that time. God says to them in the book of Deuteronomy, I tested you by hunger. He gave them manna, a very simple diet. They weren't eating steak in the wilderness. Jesus is tested by hunger during that time. Jesus' test in the wilderness parallels that of Israel in the wilderness, but it is greater. It is a more intense test. He goes without all food for 40 days, and he is tested face to face by Satan. And so it is telling that Jesus responds specifically by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus goes back to the Old Testament scripture that speaks specifically of Israel's failure in the wilderness. It is there in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that Moses says, you were led into the wilderness speaking to Israel You were tested by God. He wanted to know what was in your heart and you failed. You should not have grumbled. You should not have complained. You should not have deviated from the prescribed will of the Lord. Jesus quotes from that scripture. And he quotes from that scripture so as to further impress upon all those that would take in Christ in the coming days the fact that he stands as the representative head of Israel. We thought about this during Jesus's baptism. He was established at the point of his baptism as the leader, the representative head of Israel. 
He comes as the true and better Israel so as to lead them in success. It's the same idea here at the point of testing. All of these correspondences anchor Jesus' ministry with the experience of Old Testament Israel, the difference being where they failed, he succeeds. Where they disobeyed God, he obeys God. And for that reason, they can cling to him and follow him and find their victory in him. That's the logic that is being established in these early chapters of Matthew's gospel. So you see the point of this testing is not so much to teach us about how we might resist temptation in our lives. We have a way of reading narrative where we always try to put ourselves at the center of the drama. I wonder if you've noticed that. We have a way of reading biblical narrative, be it the Gospels or Old Testament stories. And as we seek to to understand why is this in my Bible, why has God given me this text to instruct me, we often make this, this very subtle move that is so often not quite right, where we put ourselves at the center of the narrative. We make it all about us. And so what you hear people do with this text so often is in essence to remove Jesus from the picture and to say, therefore, what we learn here is that the the way in which you might live an obedient life is to memorize scripture and quote it in the moment of temptation. That is true theologically. We can go elsewhere in the Bible to see that that is a truth that is taught to us. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It is a good theological principle. Commit this book to your memory so as to live an obedient life. It's not the point of this text. Rather, as you see Jesus establishing himself again as the representative head of Israel, as you see him to be the obedient son of God. It is an invitation to cast yourself upon him. If you or I had gone into the wilderness for one day, we would have grumbled and complained and disobeyed. We would be no better than the Old Testament Israelites. You can go into the wilderness this day in Israel and you find it to be a very hot and dry place. You can deprive yourself of food and see how you respond. We are no better. And the grace of the gospel is that it comes to people like us. And there is an invitation here that you would cast yourself upon Christ. That you would delight in his moral glory. People talk here and throughout Jesus' ministry in terms of Jesus' moral glory. There are lots of different glories that attend Jesus that theologians like to to pick apart and dissect. We can talk about Jesus' pre-incarnate glory. Before he was a man, he was glorious. 
And we can read of his pre-incarnate glory in the Old Testament. You can talk about Jesus's incarnate glory. When he came and became a child, there was glory. We can talk about Jesus's crucified glory. The world mocks him. The world mocks us. But we look at the cross and we see his glory. We can talk about his resurrected glory. The tomb was empty and we find glory in his resurrected state. We can talk about his ascended glory or his returning glory. The glory that is on display here is what people refer to as his moral glory. The glory that exudes from Christ as he walks out an obedient path. And you have to understand that that glory is an implicit exhortation for you to cast your life upon him. Last week in the evening, we were thinking about the discipline of reading in the Christian life. The value of being a reader. And this week, as I was pondering the moral glory of Christ, I was reminded of a small, very small volume that was gifted to me many years ago. And I found it on my bookshelf. The title is A Short Meditation on the Moral Glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The author is almost anonymous. It simply says by J.G.B. There's a small pencil note on the inside cover, two pounds. The person that gave it to me, I think, picked it up in a secondhand bookstore. This edition is on its 18th uh, edition. So whenever this was written, you know that it, it has been successful because it's made it to its 18th edition. And it's a short meditation on the moral glory of Christ. In the very last paragraph, the author says, if we can understand the character of Jesus's ministry, or to put it another way, if we can read the moral glory that attaches to each moment of his service here on earth, we will learn what he is and thus learn what God is. And with it, we will reach God. You see in Jesus's moral glory, not first and foremost an example for you to follow, but predominantly an appeal that this man would be the centerpiece of your very life. Your being would be oriented around the obedient son of God and in him you would find your righteousness. Now, Satan is not content there. He goes on and issues a second test, which I've titled, Is he the one who trusts his father? Is this son one who trusts his father? He's made plain that he's going to obey his father in heaven, but is there an underlying trust? You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. Surely, if there's one thing we've learned these days... It's that the more we learn about our leaders, the less we respect them. Is there anyone we can trust, emulate, or put our hope in? Seems that everyone has feet of clay. Even some religious leaders seem to fall by the wayside with scandals. Isn't this why it's hard to put our faith in anyone or anything, particularly ourselves? Only one person has been tested over time and found triumphant. Are you following Jesus? 
or still looking for solutions in someone or something that has failed you, like yourself. If you want to learn more about following the perfect one, Jesus Christ, come to TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you, all free for the listening. While you're on our website, join others who support this outreach ministry by making a donation. You'll be a part of what God is doing through this outreach ministry to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. At TimelessTruthToday.org, select Donate to make your gift of any size. Thank you. Join us tomorrow for part two and the conclusion of our short series, Tested and Triumphant. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today. Today.